You're listening to Where the World Comes to Talk. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. How many women fought disguised as men in the Civil War? Why is Reconstruction still the most misunderstood period in all of American history? These are some of the issues we'll be discussing with our guest today, Elizabeth Leonard, professor of history at Colby College and author of All the Daring of the Soldier, A Study of Women in the Civil War, as well as Lincoln's Avengers, a look at the trial of the assassination conspirators after the death of Lincoln. Join us when we talk with Elizabeth Leonard on Civil War Talk Radio. Mission Critical, two words that describe the data vital to every e-commerce website. If your company needs the services of an unparalleled co-location facility, you need to remember these two words, Castle Access. With Castle Access, your Internet servers will be secure in environmentally controlled data centers that offer high-speed managed Internet access and the highest standards of 24-7 customer support. For more info, visit castleaccess.com. Castle Access, we keep you online all the time. Credit card debt has squeezed the fun out of your life. Are you ready to file bankruptcy? Wait. Make one more phone call first to Credit Partnership. Our licensed attorneys offer a unique debt relief solution called debt reduction. You can get out of debt in two to three years or less. Credit counseling and consolidation loans are no solution. They only rearrange your debt, which may lower your interest rate slightly. You'll still wind up paying the entire balance over time. Lots and lots of time. Only debt reduction with Credit Partnership shrinks the principal balance of your debts, not just interest. Your monthly payments will be lower too, so you get immediate relief. Debt reduction has already helped tens of thousands eliminate their debt, and unlike bankruptcy, debt reduction with credit partnership does not become public record. Remember, bankruptcy devastates your credit for 7 to 10 years. Call Credit Partnership instead. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Toll free 1-800-DEBT-SAVER or visit us online at creditpartnership.com. Get relief from your debt now with Credit Partnership. Call 1-800-332-8728. 1-800-DEBT Saber. Are you a health-conscious, motivated mom who wants to work part-time from home? Do you want to enhance your family's income, get out of debt, experience financial freedom, create a flexible schedule, set your own hours? These benefits are available to top performers of this 34-year-old, solid, stable company. www.lisastafford.com Achieve personal wellness goals and make a difference in the lives of others. Receive coaching from the top achievers at this company. For more information, go online, lisastafford.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com. Or you can click on the sponsor this show link on any of the show pages. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you today from my office in Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but as always disclaiming any representation on behalf of the university, I don't speak for them, nor they for me. This is the opinions of myself and our guests today. Before we start with our guests today, I'd like to thank everyone who has uh, contributed to the show uh, financially or by coming in by sending ideas and thoughts uh, in the past, they are always welcome. 
the uh, show is certainly doing well in that regard. This past week, I also received for the first time the numbers of how many people listen to the show. This was in November of 2005, and it is doing well. I think I mentioned this actually the week before. One show in particular, uh, well, let me give you the statistics. We, we are, this show is among the, the top 20 shows on World Talk Radio. I don't know if there are more than 20 shows on World Talk Radio, but we'll take that for what it's worth. It is number 11, still trailing, however, some of the other shows. <clears throat> Powered paragliding, uh, we haven't caught up to that yet, but we are ahead of paragliding radio, so we're sort of in between the paragliding enthusiasts here on World Talk Radio. We're trailing far behind uh, the shows at the top. Uh, number two, for example, Understanding Women with Doc Love. Well, that's uh, a challenge for anyone, uh, and, and perhaps we'll see if, if we can do something in that direction, uh, perhaps even on today's show. And our guest on today's show is Professor Elizabeth Leonard from Colby College in Maine. Elizabeth, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. May I call you Elizabeth? We just, just met uh, uh, at Gettysburg a, a month ago or so. and, and uh, Yes, please call me Elizabeth. Uh, thank you. And, and Jerry is what I go by. The, uh, uh, as I just mentioned uh, to our listeners, this show is uh, trailing in the ratings behind Understanding Women with Dr. Love. Uh, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm trailing well behind in the ratings in Understanding Women. My wife would certainly agree with that. But uh, perhaps we could touch on a very uh, controversial subject among some people who are interested in the Civil War, uh, the subject of women in the Civil War. You've written uh, several books that discuss this topic. Uh, one I mentioned in the introduction, All the Daring of a Soldier, that describes women who fought in the Civil War. Why, why should people be interested in women in the Civil War? Well, I think there are a couple of ways to answer that question. I think uh, my, my other book on women in the Civil War is called Yankee Women, Gender Battles in the Civil War, and that actually grew out of my own fascination as a graduate student that in my graduate course on the Civil War, women weren't even discussed in, in that context. So I felt that no matter whether they uh, had done things that had led to the war themselves or that whether even if they hadn't made decisions perhaps at high levels of government that would have brought the war on surely there must have been some way in which the war and women's lives had intersected and of course I grew up in the Vietnam era so I was well aware of the meaning of war on the home front so I thought that it was important to look at women's intersection with the war, I guess you could call it, at least to see what kind of contact the war made with their lives and what kind of influences they may have had over the way the war progressed. So from that perspective alone, I think you should look at women. For one thing, they have been very much understudied in the context of this war. And for another thing, we simply know they must have somehow been affected by it and probably affected it as well. And that's what I tried to explore there. And then in my second book, which grew out of my um, first book... Can, can I just interrupt you? Because I want to stay with a, a point you just raised sure. here, because I do want, definitely want to talk about the second book as well. But what you're saying echoes a, a trend in history over the last 20, 30 years now 
uh, if you were writing a book on the Civil War in the 1960s, you, you wouldn't mention women at all if you were a traditional historian, or there'd be a token reference maybe to women on the home front, to the few women who acted as spies, uh, maybe something about nursing. And, and other than that token approach, that would be it. Right. Now, that has changed in professional history generally, certainly in the last 30 years, where there's been a, a, a widespread blinding flash of recognition that, that half the world's population has been excluded from most written history up to that point. Well, and I would argue much more than half the world's population has been excluded, because it's not just women who are excluded. I mean, we frequently now, I hear my students say, you know, we no longer just do the history of dead white men, but you know what? We never did the complete history of dead white men. We always did the history of a very elite crust of white men and left a lot of people out, including a lot of white men who were just not property owners or somehow political, you know, major political figures. So I think history as a field has changed dramatically by not just including women, but by also including all kinds of other people whose stories were left out as well, African-Americans, if we're talking about American history, uh, working-class people, if we're, again, talking about American history, but also history of many other places. So I think history has, you're right, in the last 30 or 40 years, really changed dramatically in the way that it approaches, you know, what constitutes history-making activity. No. We used to think it all came from the top down, but we, we don't see it quite that way anymore. We certainly don't. The Civil War, though, presents a, a unique case in American history. Uh, for one thing, you can sell books about it, which you can't do with you know your deep study of the Second Great Awakening or uh, uh, industrialization or, or other topics that are of importance to historians. They're not that fascinating to the public. The Civil War, however... You can find at Barnes and Noble. You can find online. Right. People want to read about that. Now, that in that case, the <laughs> revolution in in expanding history to these other uh, to a much broader net makes sense. You, you can look at, at the uh, go back to Bell Wiley writing about the, the common soldiers of both sides. Uh, interest among Civil War enthusiasts has long since spread from the top down to the common soldiers without much resistance. But the spread from there then to African Americans, again, not too much resistance uh, the, with the study of the 54th Massachusetts and so on. But with women, you start to hit a wall among right. Civil War readers. Right. Do, do you see that? Well, I would say yes and no. I think that um, it has been very true over uh, most of the history, most of the time since the Civil War, that we, as the reading public, even historians as well as the reading public, have simply associated war with men, which means that there really isn't a place for women. And it's a matter, but I would say even historians of women generally have also associated war with men, so they haven't been taking on this challenge either until the last probably 15 years, I would say. There absolutely was resistance, and I still encounter it. I... I I think anybody who works on gender in the Civil War encounters it. Anybody who works on African Americans in the Civil War also encounters it somewhat. Uh, it still is very much understood as a as a white man's war. So I do think there's still resistance, but I think a lot of that is breaking down, and, and the more people write and the more books are out there and the more people write interesting things and really write books that prove their case as opposed to perhaps 
seeming to be using the story of, you know, three people, which some people have said my first book did, the story of three people to talk about, you know, a much larger subject, the more those uh, that resistance breaks down. Is it, is it possible for that pendulum to swing too far? And by that I mean in within the academy, not in Civil War studies so much at this point, but within professional history in the last certainly decade, 15 years, it has become increasingly difficult to get a job teaching at a university, to earn tenure at a university, if your research is not filtered through the lens of race, class, and gender, or some combination of those, so that traditional diplomatic history, traditional military history, even traditional political history are out of favor. The the economic Marxian analysis that was all the rage in the 70s is now antique and obsolete, and uh, everything must is replaced by race, class, and gender. Could that happen in Civil War writing, or should it happen, or should it not happen? Well, I don't think it should happen, and I doubt that it will happen. I, I remember when I first, um, when I got my job at Colby, I uh, was very, well, I was challenged by a peer of mine in my graduate program who said that the only reason I'd gotten my job was because I was a woman working on women in the Civil War, and I went and spoke to a couple of male friends who did more traditional stuff, and they both said, you know, that's not really so, because there's still a lot of traditional folks getting traditional jobs and, <laughs> and getting tenure and so on. I don't think that it will ever happen. I think part of the reason it may feel that way, though, is that as that there has been this shift, but we still have in a lot of departments, including my own department, until perhaps quite recently, we still had older members of the department who were doing more traditional angles on history. So as new lines maybe opened up, places were created for new kinds of history. But I don't think that you will ever find that diplomatic history or military history, you know, of men on the battlefield and so on, or traditional political history, either in government departments or history departments, I don't think that's ever going to go completely out of favor. I, I do think that the field is broadening. I think the bigger concern is, uh, for me at least, and, and I feel it myself, is that not that those positions will not be filled or people won't get tenure, but that we're going to ha continue to have this uh, breakdown of the literature into smaller and smaller components of a larger narrative of you know, our history and, and on the Civil War, too, that we would be becoming so mi minutely focused on something that we will lose the um, attention to the larger sweep of, of history. And that could be a problem that comes from many different directions. That, that, that is something you see echoed both on the popular and the, the professional side. The On the popular side, you've got those people who can tell you the thread count of the reenactor trousers that they wear. Right. Uh, but when you mention slavery, they, they turn all pale and they don't want to talk about it uh, as a cause of the war. Right. And, and when I first wrote uh, the first the manuscript for Yankee Women, even my editor, you know, we, we went over it together and over it together and rewrote it many times, I did. And, and then, you know, at the, the last revision, she said, you know, I realize what the problem is here is that I, the women are here, but I don't see the war. I, I don't feel, I hear, you know, they're sort of moving in this 
moving through this war, but I don't have a sense of them actually being connected to the war context. And it it was a really good um, it was a really good criticism on her part, and it caused me to do a lot more contextualizing of what was going on with these women I was describing. So I wasn't just looking at them as kind of above or you know apart from the war, but really embedded in this the war that I was you know describing. So. I think that is something you do see in a lot of academic history, where the uh, the fragmentation, as you point out, the focus on the particular characters or the particular theoretical angle uh, that that the writer is taking leaves creates this detachment, so that we don't have the grand narrative being written much anymore. Right, and then of course on the other side there are the people. I, I have a colleague who. You know, believes that events really don't matter, and that all we should talk about is sweeping climate change over centuries. You know, so then there's that other side where we can get lost in the grand sweep of things like that, and and cease to care about specific events that have occurred. And I, and I guess I would put myself right in the middle there. I, I believe in large sweeping changes, and I also believe that events and individuals matter, and so I try to position myself in between those extremes. I think, I think the moderate position, looking back over the long sweep, often tends to uh, be the more enduring one, but mm-hmm. but not always. Um, let me pursue that. You started to, to mention uh, your next, your, your second book, and I, I do want to talk about that. And specifically, in that book, you address the question of women who fought as, as men in the Civil War. Uh, how many How many were there? Well, a traditional number that was given was 400, and that was that number was reiterated over you know a period of about a hundred years from the time that it was first put down on paper in I think the 1880s by a sanitary aid worker named Mary Livermore, and she just guesstimated based on the people she had run into and the stories she'd heard and the newspaper articles she'd read and so on. But Lauren Burgess and Deanne Blanton, uh, Deanne is at the uh, National Archives, an archivist there, they've worked up the most comprehensive study of women's involvement as soldiers during the Civil War. And their estimate is closer to a 1,000, having really carefully traced these records and tried to develop the stories that are, are, to, are there still to be developed. Of course, it's a very hard number to calculate because... For one thing, unlike many historical figures, these people mostly didn't want to be known, so they left very little trace of themselves, if possible. And and many of them were working class, and many of them were probably not literate, and and so on. So it's very hard to track them. But I would say between 500 and 1,000. And that leads me to my other point about why women should be studied in the Civil War context, which is that they may not be... um, Military, for example, if you look at women soldiers, they may not be militarily significant. I wouldn't say a thousand women soldiers, even in a in a war that was, you know, had three and a half million soldiers under arms, probably were militarily significant. But the fact that women were doing such a thing, it's historically significant. So it isn't always the numbers that matter. Although it's it is still shocking to think that that many women could have gone undercover as they did. It, it really is, and of course, as you point out, the ones who were truly successful at disguising themselves wouldn't be included in that number. Right, and may have died, and and bones are still occasionally being discovered, you know, and, and that are clearly women's bones. 
So, so that's a number we'll never exactly know. We'll never well, know. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and talk more about this topic, as well as uh, some of your other work. We're talking today with Elizabeth Leonard from Colby College on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 